Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Mm -hmm. Thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive me or forgive us of our yes. sins, of our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions, Lord, and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time with my brother and sisters that you've given us another day that we might be edified, Lord, that we may fall in line with your spirit, Lord, that we may be able to be taught and be anointed, Lord, and be accepted and to be loved, that we may do the things that please you. I pray, Lord, now for a strong presence of the Holy Ghost, Lord, that no flesh be glorified, that no man's heart be heard, Lord. And I pray that over the, the, the cold that the enemy has tried to place on me, Lord, I pray in Jesus', Jesus name, name that it will bear nothing with what's going on today. Yes, okay. So, Lord, I just pray for those who couldn't be there tonight. Lord, I, I ask that you put a peace over their hearts and their minds, that you watch over them, that you guide them. Lord, for you are the only way back, and there was nothing more important than you. Yes, Jesus. Lord, I also pray that we go out, Lord, that we preach and we proclaim your word, that we introduce more people to the kingdom of God. Thank you, for, Lord, yes. when it comes down to it, this is the only thing that matters. Yes, Jesus. So, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul yes. spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error. Every spirit of contention, confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, fear, doubt, and unbelief. I pray, Lord, that every antichrist spirit, Lord, every demon dog spirit, every spirit that is against you, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind it from this very moment. And, Lord, I ask, Lord, that your spirit may just flow, Lord, to all those who need you, Lord, for there are so many brokenhearted. There are so many that are out there that were seeking their own way. But, Lord, their problem may be, Lord, that they have left their first love. Yes, so I pray, Lord, that you just turn the hearts of the children, of the grown-ups, Lord, back to you. That all ministries, Lord, will understand that they have no bearing in what they do except it come from you. Yes, that we hand all rights, all government, all power, Lord, over to you. That you might distribute it to your church. That we may not be naked and be lacking nothing yes, in the coming yes, days. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is actually going to be about, Has thou left thy first love? Has thou left thy first love? Now, this is one of the things that, you know, some people may be offended by because they think, well, you know, I'm sure I'm in good standing with God. And you know what? We may be, but the Bible often tells us to be able to examine ourselves, to see where we are with the Lord, that we may walk in his righteousness, okay? Because it's not an easy walk to just follow the Lord. There are lots of distractions James actually um, sent me a video I want to send to you. I think I sent it to everybody else. But it was like a little animated cartoon, like um, talking about how these people, um, I think they met up with John the Baptist and they were walking. And he said, you know, you see that light all the way at the end. Just keep your eyes focused on that. That if you don't, you're going to go off course. And there was a path that, that showed that it was the path of life. And then there was um, like a whole bunch of water everywhere. And that water, it said that it was sin. 
You know, it was sin, and it was just a little path. So John the Baptist warned the people, hey, this is how you want to walk. This is what you should do. And if you, you know, obey what I'm telling you, you should be able to make it. So when they got to the, um, during the path of life, the path broke off into another path. There was a fork in the road. And the interesting thing was on that side of the road, there were people that were, you, you see the Pope there. I mean, you saw like some Muslim leaders, people from other beliefs, ministers, pastors, they're all there like trying to encourage the people, come this way, let us show you about the word. And they got signs up and everything. And um, there were some people, everybody just stopped and looked because there was about seven or eight of them. And if you look at these characters, one of them looked like Mark Wahlberg. The other one looked like Bruce Willis, you know, and there were so many like you could see that they were celebrities. So um, there were like seven of them that went in the way following all the religions. And then there was another sign up that said, if you want the Holy Spirit to go this way. So the two, there was only two of them that went the other way. And there were demons flying overhead. They were shooting arrows and stuff like that at the people. And because those people weren't walking in the ways of God, that they were getting hit, picked off, falling in the water. Even when they got hit with the arrows and fell down, the demons were pulling them in the water, like, you know, straying them into sin. And um, the man and the woman that, that went the right way, they just kept walking. And then all of a sudden they stop and they're bouncing up and down and they're engulfed by the spirit saying like they were baptized in the spirit. So they were able to now fight back against the enemy. And um, during the walk, they even saw people that were walking on the other side that they knew. And they can tell one of them was seeking the truth and they were getting beat up pretty bad by the demons. And they called out and was like, hey, what are you doing? And um, well, even before that point, there was a part where the, um, what was it? The, uh, there was supposed to be popular men in the gospel like um, popular ministers, that they were telling um, all the people on the wrong side, don't follow these two because they're now heretics. You know, like they're not of God. So they were just kicking them, you know, speaking against them. Mm -hmm. So when they saw their friend that they wanted to come over with them, that they said, well, everybody is saying that you guys are not good Christians or whatever like that. So they were telling him, no, we are, you know, or whatever. If you want to seek the truth and you're suffering, you need to come over here. So the girl repented and uh, it was like a path of light led them back onto the good path. And she was able to walk over there and they had to protect her until she was strong enough to be baptized and to walk with the Lord. But, you know, many, um, I said all that to say this, that very few of us know how important it is that we keep our hearts and our minds stayed on the Lord. It's more important than being a part of any Bible study, any church, any ministry. It, it is all about being a part of Jesus because one thing I've learned with me, it wasn't what drew me outside of some of the churches, didn't have much to do with, I didn't like to be there. There was something in my heart that was calling for more that God knew that only he could give. When I used to sit in there and I would hear the same sermons over and over, there was just a part of it that I was just like, Lord, there's got to be more to it than this. And I remember at the time I was, um, you know, with uh, Andrew's mom and we were going to church, but I used to go out and sit in the car and I was like, you know what, I'll go in later or whatever. I just, I sat in the car and I would turn on guys like Steve Quayle or Gary Price. I just needed something more because I knew that what they were speaking about was true. Okay. So after all of that, 
I realized the Lord started showing me, let me show you more. Let me take you down my road so that you can have a better understanding as to what this is about. And he began to introduce me to ministers that had a heart after Jesus. And I remember hearing, because I thought I was a Christian up until I heard Gary Price. And he was like, um, yeah, you're not a Christian. How are you going to keep living the same life you're living and thinking that you're this and that? And I remember it stung, but the Lord said, don't turn it off. Just keep listening. But as I began to, to be ex, um, exposed to people whose hearts were after Christ, man, it changed me. I began to want more. I began to see the truth and then want to tell other people. And I remember going to workplaces and doing things and having no fear whatsoever. And it was only because, not because I was brave, but it was how much I loved the Lord. You see what I'm saying? He was so important to me that I had to tell everybody about him. And I remember going places where I would just hear crickets. I'm here talking about, well, you know, the Lord says, you know, whatever. And everybody in the workplace, your boss is like, yeah, 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 I used to be a Christian, you know, whatever. But I remember him having to be so a part of my life. And I also remember a time, too, where I began to grow in the Lord. And I started looking for appropriate times to speak you know, two people. And then there came a part where I said, well, maybe you got to get to know the person and build a relationship and then preach the gospel. And where I thought I was becoming more wise at winning a soul, what was actually happening is I was losing my first love. And it's important that we understand that. I might have seemed like, you know, well, I'm only trying to do the right thing to draw people in. But no, I was losing my relationship with the Lord. And I'm going to explain to you how this can be because I began to worry about the feelings of the people instead of telling them about the only one who could save them. And, and I remember the power and everything just started coming off of me. I began to become dry. I began to try and fit in with people when really it's all about Jesus and branching out from there. So when a lot of people you know, would talk to me about, you know, love, we got to first understand that that love goes to Jesus Christ. Right. First and foremost is to love your God. After that, you can distribute love properly to other people. But the reason why your nephew can get out of a car and go and talk to people about Jesus is because he loves Jesus. That's his first love. He wants to share that with everyone that he's around. And you see, this is where we need to be in that place of, man, there is nothing too important that I can't talk to them about my first love. So what we're going to examine tonight is, have we left our first love? Now, some people may say, well, no, I love Jesus. Yeah, but do you love him more than you used to? Have you ever really gotten to that place where you truly love him? How Are you putting things before him today? This is what we're going to talk about because, you see, I remember the great boldness I had when my love was after Christ. And I remember when I began to try and put God in a box and, you know, sprinkle him with sugar and try and figure out a way to present it, that, man, when you leaven, you do leaven the whole lump. Right. The whole lump. If you try to downplay the gospel or things that are important in Christ, man, you may as well throw the whole thing in the garbage because it is all about Jesus and nothing else. Amen. All right, let's get started. I want to go to uh, Psalm 139. But, you know, it's just how if we love the Lord and we're talking to people about, you know, um, our wife or our husband or our kids 
you're going to bring them up in conversation simply because you're proud of them. Well, if we're proud of the Lord, we will do the same things. It's just that simple. God is not some mysterious figure that you have to try and figure out. If he's a part of your life, then he will be as important to you as anybody that you know in the natural. All right, so this is Psalm 139. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. So basically, he's just pretty much saying the Lord knows him in an intimate way. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So David is making clear that God is too big that you can't get over him. He's too low that you can't get under him, and he's too wide that you can't get around him. There is no way around coming to God and conforming to what he wants because no matter what you do, God is everywhere. And you see, if we truly love the Lord, we will believe this because we will be careful of what we say, what we do, how we live, because we know that he's watching. So that's important. So he says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. So you see, even in darkness, the light of God can even be there. Verse 12, yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee, because wherever God is, there will be light shined. And that's how it should be to us. Whether we're in the light of, the, of other believers and, and, and being with the Lord, and whether we're in darkness with the sinner, we should be absolutely the same. When we step out of church, our hearts shouldn't just be left in church or left in congregations of believers. We should be out even amongst the center preaching the gospel. It shouldn't even matter. There should be no difference because you carry the life of God inside of you. Of Christ, I want to say. All right, so um, where am I? Verse 13, and it says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance is not hid from thee, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which um, in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. So what we understand about God here is that, you know, David is realizing we're a work of art. I mean, if we ever just sit back and we look at the human body and you look at how we got 24 ribs 
surrounding our heart, which is really the throne of God. If you look at the 24 elders and you look at the throne of God, that's what we're supposed to symbolize. We truly are the temple of the living God. So if we know this, this is going to put us in a place of, I'm not going to say conceit or thinking of ourselves in vanity, but you're important to God. The Bible says, who is man that thou art mindful of him? So you see, God has got his eyes stayed on us as a people that we ought to walk around in royalty like Christ. I'm not talking about worldly riches. I'm talking about who you see yourself as, being restored to wholeness, to recognizing that I'm a part of a bigger part, which is God in his kingdom. So when he says, man, the members, all thy members, the book and thy members are written. I mean, that sounds like DNA. You know, all of our information is written in our DNA. And it's amazing how God was able to just form and sculpt us to being what we are. Man, this is how awesome God is. This is how much he loves us. Look at verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me. O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. So can you imagine just trying to count uh, granules of sand, little, little grains of sand, even in the palm of your hand, even if you were to pick up a few of them, you know, just between your two fingers, and you tried to count them, you would not be able to. Even when you let them go to count them, sometimes they just look like smoke because they're so fine in pieces. It just makes you really think about what God's thoughts are towards us. It's innumerable. Mm -hmm. You couldn't even count them. I know the world makes it seem like God is so far away from us that he doesn't care what we do or what happens, but this is not true. This is David, who's a man who has a heart after Christ. And then, you know, he's being shown what God thinks of us. Man, that's more than what anyone could think of you. So you see, David knows the Lord loves him. Verse 19, surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God, depart from me. Therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies uh, take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. I I am not I grieved. Oh, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. So some people would say, well, he's talking about hatred. But you see, David here is talking about his love for the Lord. So if people hate God, then you hate me. Okay, and in turn... He hates them with perfect hatred, not the people, but he hates what they're doing. He hates that they're against his God. If you're against, if they're against the Lord, then they're against me. And that's the way that we've got to see this thing to walk with God. If God truly is everything to us, this is how we will be. Now, of course, God doesn't hold grudges. God may say, go and tell that person more about me to, to get them to turn. But if that person shouldn't want it, you're not going to, you know, look at God and say, well, God, maybe you're wrong, you know, because this person has tried. And I see a lot of Christians doing this, you know. Every now and then you'll run into a person that you minister to that will have a situation that is rough to hear. They may say, my mother and father beat me. I was molested. This went on. So how can God love me after all this? And I've gone through in my life. How can this be? How can this come to pass? And you let them know. You know, every situation is different, but 
He loves you is why he's calling you to come to him right now. It's not about your past. He can restore you to wholeness and make you right if you want it, if you believe. Because some people would say, how can God do that? Hey, sin has its own reward. Whatever family members might have done to family, whether there are generational curses or whatever going on has gone on, God can make the situation right. But some people will hear stories like that and then say, God, how could you do such a thing? Uh-uh, you're looking in the wrong way. You need to turn that person unto God that God can make this person now whole. The very fact that they can hear the gospel and hear about Jesus Christ is to wash all those things out of your life. It is the antidote to everything that they have suffered. But if you don't have a heart after God and your hearts and your emotions, you'll begin to question God instead of turning this person to God which can put you on the bad side of God. There's nothing wrong with asking, but, you know, always know that God is right. Always know that God is the remedy. Don't you ever side against God for anybody, no matter who it is. Amen. Verse 23, look what David says. Search me, O God, and my thoughts. I mean, and know my, my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, this is what we should be asking for if we got a heart after God, because David is not is asking, well, I can write this beautiful psalm to you. I can attend church. I can go to Bible study. I can do whatever. But, you know, what I want to make clear is, Lord, search me and see if there's anything in me that's not like you. David wants to be perfected in Christ. If there's anything in me, Lord, that is against you, search me out. Take it away from me so that it won't hinder me from the ways of everlasting. But you see, this is a heart after the Lord. One that isn't, man, I'm good enough. I, I give God time. That's all that should matter. Don't worry about it. But you see, when you truly want to know God, Lord, show me the sin in my very life that when those things are moved out, I can be like you. So we've got to ask ourselves, have we left our first love? Let's go to Revelation chapter 2 and let's get started. The man, there were several times I felt in my walk, my heart straying from the Lord. And I tell you what, when I got up here to teach, my heart didn't feel right. I felt blank. I felt empty. I felt like, you know, I was striving to try and get the word out. But then there's times when I know I've given God time, I feel in sync with him. I don't have to think about what I say. I don't have to try to convince people. The spirit flows because I have made myself a vessel fit for the master's use. That's all it is. This thing ain't about ability. This is about accepting Christ to let Jesus Christ use you as a vessel to reach others. Amen. All right. So this is uh, Revelation 2. We begin in verse 1, and it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He says, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say that they are apostles, and or not, and has found them liars, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. 
So man, this sounds like the perfect church. If you think about this, there is patience in there. They spot out they can't bear evil in their church. That they will even point out false apostles. Okay, they want all these things to be right. And they found them liars. And then it says that they work hard for the Lord. They labor for him and they faint not. So most people will look at a church like this and say, this is a church that's doing the will of God. They are perfect towards the Lord, but we're going to see whether they are or not. Because I heard a pastor say one time, I can't remember who it is, but he said, pointing out always what's wrong doesn't make you right. Now that's true. You got people like Alex Jones and all these other guys, they can tell you about the globalists and all this stuff that's going on and all this wrong. But you see, that doesn't make you a candidate for Christ either. You may, you may love to point out what's negative and you may be doing your part, but you're going to find out that God is calling for more. Okay, so let's look at verse 4. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. So he's not totally mad, but he's noticing something that, you know, still there's a problem here. And he says, because thou hast left, thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. So what we ought to understand is when he talks about the first works, the first works is what Jesus said to do. When he was asked what was the first commandment of the law, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul and thy mind and thy strength. Okay? And this is what he's talking about here. They left their first love. R.W. Schombach said one day that, he remembers that um, the Lord was using him and they were under a tent. And I mean, he probably laid hands and prayed for thousands of people for about three or four days. And I mean, you know, people were getting healed. The Holy Ghost was coming. And um, he said, man, after all of that, he would just go to bed. He was so exhausted. So he did that about three times. And on the fourth night when he got ready to get in bed, the Lord told him, he said, you know, you haven't spent time with me lately. And he repented and got down on his knees and began to pray. And the Lord began to restore him and to fill him. So just because we're out doing the works of God, just because we're preaching and we're teaching and we're handing out food to the homeless and all this other stuff, those things may be good. You may be fulfilling the second commandment, but what is the first and the greatest commandment? is to love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God wants to hear from you. God wants to know you. God wants to spend time with you because you are a vessel that he plans to use. So just because you do all that stuff means nothing. Where is your time with me? And he told them, I will remove your candlestick. I will let your church fall apart. I will take the Holy Ghost out of the midst of it until you learn to spend time with me. And God will do this very thing. Why? Because there's no point in you having the Spirit if you're not going to yield to loving the Lord. The Holy Ghost only came for one reason, and that is to glorify Jesus Christ. In most cases, when the Spirit does not work in our lives, it's because we're not giving God time. 
Do you realize that God would even prefer you spend more time with him than to do any religious works so that he can build you up and work in you and then he can distribute what is necessary for you. So this, see, this thing has to balance out. God first and foremost, and after that, everything else is second. It is great that we reach people with the gospel and we talk to them about Jesus. That's a marvelous thing. But if you want to stay full, if you want to grow, you have got to have personal time with Christ. That It is that important. And that's what he means by leaving your first love. These things we ought to learn and examine so that we don't fall away. And it can happen so easy, so easy that we need to, to, to just get it right with him and do what he says. Okay, so let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. If anybody has any questions or anything they want to add, they can. And like I said, when I'm speaking this, I'm speaking to myself because there are times when I realize I'm sitting in here looking in this Bible for lessons and the Lord is like, why don't you read more with me so we can get some things done? Spend time with me and my word. You don't just come to this Bible to look for things to read. Where's your personal time with me that you can feed on this word? Hey Amen. We're all guilty of this. And that's why the Lord wants us to walk in those righteous ways. And it's true because it's like the Lord's actually done that with me before. Where it's, it's one of the ways that he speaks to us. He speaks to us a lot through his word, you know, it's, it's not, you know, of course he speaks to us through prayer, but if we're just going through something and it's like, okay, Lord, you know, I, I want to hear from you on this, you know, he's going to say, well, when was the last time you got into my word and actually just sought out the answer that you're looking for? And it's true. It's like, sometimes we can read over a passage, like so many times and it's like all of a sudden he'll tell us to go back to that same passage like Lord I just read it yesterday read it again I got something else for you in it it's kind of like a misjudge like you know he doesn't ask me like when's the last time it's like you know you need to do this <laughs> it's like it's a, almost like a commandment exactly yeah yeah and I know that Lord's he's very he's very direct with us too because it's like it's that you know we can get I know I can get complacent if I'm not just focus totally on the Lord and getting into his word and stuff like that it's, it's a complacency issue and that's what our flesh wants our flesh wants to be mediocre it wants to be average it doesn't want to be above and beyond you know what it should be it's like that's the flesh for you you know it will draw us back into sin if we give it the opportunity to it will you know it will govern us and that's why it's like the more and more we stay focused on the Lord. He's going to pull us into the Spirit, but it's, it is a desire that we have to have to constantly Desire fall. towards Him. Yeah. And, and you first got to recognize that your flesh is wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, the desires of the flesh are wrong in many cases, not in every single one, but you got to recognize, Lord, I should be spending time with you. I've got to get more discipline in your word and in prayer. I've got to. You know, and train yourself. Go for five minutes in the morning, you know, whatever, in the evening. Give five minutes. Spend time with him to the place where he can, your, your flesh will eventually start to give in. There's times, man, you can get so in the spirit. Your flesh may even say, 
Should we be doing something right now, like on our knees before the Lord? That can happen, you know? But it's all about training your mind, training your body. Let your will become His. You know, little by little, then you don't want to do anything. You may even tell people that are wanting to go somewhere, hey, man, I'm going to stay home with the Lord today. Because you actually want that time with Him. But this comes with growth. All right? So this is um, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 13. Let's look at verse 1. It says, this is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as I were present the second time and being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. So he knows that, you know, Corinth has been backsliding and things have been going on. But he's writing this letter to them. This is the third epistle um, that, you know, he's not going to spare. He's going to really rip in the people this time, you know, because this is the third time you've heard it. So you should be prepared to know now what is what. Mm -hmm. Okay, but it is important, too, that I meant to mention as far as Ephesus is concerned, that Ephesus lasted. It was the most prosperous church um, of the seven churches at that time. It was huge. I think they had something like, I'm not even lying, maybe like 1,500 ministers, okay? And Timothy was one of the head ministers of that church. And it lasted about 150 years before it eventually fell apart. And I would imagine it fell maybe from Rome or maybe they didn't take heed to what God was saying. But you see, there's a lot of churches that have Ichabod written on their doorpost. And people don't even know it. That God is not even working in that. Yeah, Martin. So what were they using at that time for, like, scripture to actually take all the scrolls out and go through them? Or? Yeah, they had scrolls, pretty much, that they would bring forward and talk. But at this point, um, you know, they, they had, um, even the disciples even had some in there. Not disciples. The Pharisees and stuff would have some of them in their phylacteries. So yeah. they would make notes and things like that. But yeah, it was pretty much scrolls per church. Like they would print them over and, you know, distribute them to other churches. Yeah. I was thinking about that uh, library of Alexandria that burnt down. Mm-hmm. Maybe, like, yeah, beginning of the... Well, yeah, they claimed there was a lot of information in right. there. And um, yeah, Alexander the Great burned down that church. I mean, that, that library, they had a bunch of books. But, you know, I often wonder if when they were defeated by the um, Romans if the Romans took those books and now they're probably in the Vatican somewhere. You know what I'm saying? You never know with some of these things that they find a lot of information, but... But it shouldn't be different, right? It should be the same scripture. It should be the same, yeah. I mean, of course, in English, there are certain words that they don't have in the Greek or whatever that they put up, but it will have the exact same meaning, okay? Because a lot of people try and use that argument and say, see... How can we listen to the Bible if it says this or that? They may not have certain words. Every language is like that. But I believe God preserved his word. You know, when we follow it and you'll see what benefits you have. But some of the biggest experts on the Bible don't even read the Bible, you know. And they're telling you, well, I don't trust in the Bible and this and that. All right, so how much of the Bible have you read? Have you read one verse? And they know, well, you know, I'm just, I just know. See, they hear things and they, they flock to that. It's getting worse and worse today because you got a lot of Christian scholars. Mm-hmm. Well, the so-called Christian scholars mm-hmm. today know what the Bible says. And they are purposely 
trying to lead people astray. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why we've got to have a heart after Christ because if we do, you're not going to fall away because you're going to seek it and he's going to tell you what the truth is. Look at verse 3. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. So he's talking about what? Decreasing and, you know, and recognizing who we truly are and giving God the glory and he will increase in our lives. Look at verse 5, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate. So you see, if we don't examine ourselves, we can get to the place of like John MacArthur that believes that you can have uh, the gifts of the Holy Ghost were ceased. That's where he began, okay? And now he's talking about you can have the mark of the beast and still be um, saved, okay? So this man has lost it. Even with all the scripture that he knows, he's gone off course. And you know what? To make a remark like that, you have to be reprobate. You really do. If the Bible clearly states that if you accept the mark, you're damned. But he's telling you, you can be saved. What can happen when you take your eyes off of Jesus? When you start compromising the word of God, what will eventually happen is you start to lose your mind. Because you see, the Holy Ghost is the only way back. God's word is the only truth that exists. That does not change. So if we begin to change and we won't accept the word and cling to it, man, you go all over the place. You'll start going all the way left where the word would have been, uh, 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 uh. Get back right, get back left, stay in the middle. But if you don't have that and you, you forsake the truth, look, the Spirit will just, and you'll just go off into eternity the way that you want to go. So it's important that we cling to the word. And he says, unless we examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, we can be reprobate. Mm -hmm. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, uh, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, for I mean, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong, and that also uh, we wish even um, your perfection. So what he's making clear is they couldn't go off course even if they wanted to. And see, this is what happens when you're anchored in the spirit. When you're anchored in Christ, you may learn of something you're teaching is wrong. And Lord, forgive me. I'm glad you showed me. But you see, you're anchored in him. So you can't go off course if you cling to him. But if you've got your own ambition in the way that you see it, man, I'm telling you, you're going to have God step back and you're going to be just like a bull running into a wall when the, when the veil gets removed. We've got to learn to stay with him unto perfection. Verse 10. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. So when he speaks of sharpness, he's talking about letting you have it. 
All right. We've already been over this a couple of times. You know what the Lord is telling you is right and what you're doing is wrong. You need to get it together. But is that a punishment? No, that's to edification that you might grow. Okay, verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace and the God of love and peace shall be with you. So you see, if you do what God is telling you to do and you live in the ways of God, he will be with you. Greet one another with an holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Now notice they mention grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost. You cannot separate those three. Jesus Christ gives us grace because of the love that he shared for giving us the spirit. The love of God is what anchored Christ to do what he does and what anchors us to do what we do for Christ. We cannot do this without the, um, the communion of the Holy Ghost. All three have to go in one. That's right. Okay, and that's why God, if you stay steadfast, if you truly love him and you want to walk in his ways, eventually you will get baptized in the spirit. Why? Because you are obedient. The spirit is given to those who who are obedient unto God. But in order to obey, you've got to love God. And that's why Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll have perfect attendance in church. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll preach the gospel. He does mention that later on. But what he says is, if you love me, first keep my commandments. Because obedience is more important to God than anything. If we go off course with disobedience, it is only because at that point, we have a heart towards something more than God. Mm -hmm. You see, so with great responsibility, you know, it comes obedience because sacrifice can never take the place of obedience. We are all living under Adam's curse, which we are fighting the flesh to draw closer to Jesus, all because of one man's disobedience. Through his disobedience, everything fell. Adam couldn't have said from that point, well, Lord, if I just start doing everything you want me to do now, will, will man be redeemed? No, because disobedience, okay, is what brought the curse. God made man good. That man wouldn't have to fall. So what did he do? Bring a sinless Jesus Christ into the world to be obedient unto death, which cuts off that covenant that we had with Adam. You see, obedience can't be, can't be replaced with anything. Because God will say, oh, you love me? Where's your obedience? If you love me, why aren't you preaching the gospel like I told you to? If you love me, why aren't you taking part of your daily bread? So you see, if we, we can say with our mouths we love Jesus, but he'll tell you your heart is far from me. And you'll say, why, Lord? Because you are not obeying what I'm telling you to do. Obedience is more important than anything, okay? But we can't do that unless we truly love the Lord. If he becomes that real to us, then you'll see it take place in other areas of our life. It's just that simple. All right, so from here, let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're going to talk about what exactly happens to us when we can stray away from the love of God.
Oh boy. All right. So this is uh, 2 Samuel 11. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. And David, but David tarried um, still at Jerusalem. So remember, this is the time where kings are battling. Kings should be out doing the will of the Lord, slaying the enemies of God. And David delayed from the war. David is now taking a break. He's kicking back. He's in Jerusalem when he should be out in the battle with his men. Look at verse 2. And it came to pass in an evening, in the eventide, or evening tide, that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. So we first make clear that David rested from the war. It wasn't a part of what God was telling him and his men to do. He kicked back. And you know what? I can tell anybody I speak from experience that when we labor in this war, this is when the wrong things, the wrong thoughts, the wrong lifestyle begins to come to us. When we are busy for the Lord, when we are teaching the word of God, when we're out there doing what God tells us to, we walk in the spirit. But you see, if you don't walk in the spirit, the only alternative is the flesh. This is important that we understand because as you can see, the New Testament gospel and the Old Testament covenant all fall in line the same. David right now is not walking in the spirit. So what is David after? The lust of his flesh. There is no in-between. And that's why the Bible tells us, even when we're not doing things, to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart to the Lord, to stay in that mindset, which is of Christ. If we're not there, we will give in to the lust of our flesh. So this woman conceived, and David called for her husband, verse 7, and when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. So David is now rewarding him for his good work. But we know this isn't from the heart. Look at verse 9. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down to his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from the journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab, and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. 
Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thou so liveth? Uh, I will not do this thing. So Uriah is what you would call today a Christian, okay, that is out to pursue the will of God. He's saying, man, the ark is out there in the battle. We stand a chance of losing this, okay? You got other men out there battling. Joab is faithful. They're all doing what they're supposed to do. And King, we've got more at stake than me going home to be with my wife. We got more at stake than me fulfilling the lust of my flesh. I'm going, I'm going to be right here in the battle, protecting the king on guard duty until this matter is solved. So this is a loyal man because this man is looking for God to be pleased, the ark to be covered, which was supposed to be the throne of God. That was the presence of God that he was worried about and David the king. So he said, I'm not going. I'm going to be right here in the battle doing what should be done. And that's why I've got to ask myself at times when I leave the workplace and I'm tired and I don't have time. There are times Sarah will actually message me, hey, are we going out to minister today? And I'm like, you know what? I'm tired, you know, and stuff's going on or whatever like that. But you see, if I'm really that dedicated to the people, then what I should be doing is finding time to preach the gospel. You see what I'm saying? There is, there, there is no, and I'm not saying you can't do it wherever you are. When I pass people throughout the day, I do. But it was just something we planned to do on Wednesdays. But I have to examine myself whether the Lord tells me to peel back and be in prayer or to go forward. Because you see, I can actually fall in love with my comfort and forget about what the need of the people are. How can I see people damned to hell, don't know Jesus Christ, don't even, they may die tonight never hearing about the gospel, and I can find my comfort in laying down and sleeping and enjoying myself. You see, and this is what Paul and all the guys who were of the Spirit had forsaken because they had a heart for God and for the people. It's got to be that real to us, but this comes with growth. Verse 12, And David said to Uriah, Tarry there today, also, um, and to, oh, and to, and tomorrow, I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even, uh, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. So even drunk, this man was going to be faithful. I mean, this is what you call someone that's sold out. He said, man, I'm not going down to my house. I could be drunk, but there ain't that much alcohol in the world where I'm going to part from the battle. His heart was in it. Okay, so it says, um, verse 14, And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront, of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite died also. 
So let's have an understanding of this. David decided to take a break from the war. That was bad enough considering your men are in the battle. I wouldn't preach that anybody in this ministry do anything that I wouldn't do. That would make me a hypocrite. Okay, so if we want to preach something, we've got to be willing to do the same thing ourselves. So when you look at David, and he's talking about here that he's retired from the battle. Okay, that was the first step. Then he saw another man's wife that he laid with, committing adultery, and slept with. She's now pregnant. So now David goes and tries to get another man outside of the battle, not to be in the spirit, but to wallow in his own nasty, stinking flesh. So not only was he an influence to do what he did, but now he's pulling someone from the battle um, away from it to go and lay with his wife. Because this man wanted to remain faithful, now David has murder on his mind. David never thought to murder Uriah, except for the fact that he first withdrew from the spirit, indulged in the flesh, got himself tangled in a mess that he couldn't get out of. Now the next case is, I've got to murder this man so that I can appear righteous. You see how leaving your first love, all it takes, and then before you know it, you're in all kinds of mess. This didn't have to be until he began to take his eyes off of the Lord and the task at hand. All right, so let's look at verse, uh, so Uriah is now dead. Verse 18, then Joab, and sent, Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messengers saying, when thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, wherefore approach ye so nigh unto the city, when ye did fight, knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Uh, who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth, I guess that's it, Jerubasheth, <laughs> um, did not a woman cast a piece of millstone upon him from the wall that he died in, um, in Thebes? Why went ye <laughs> nigh the wall? Um, then say thou, Thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and shewed David all that Joab had sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us into the field. And we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooter shot from off the wall upon thy servants and some of the king's servants be dead. And thy servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead also. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus, thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. So David now is telling another, who is um, Joab, don't have a heart after Uriah who just died. Okay, don't worry about it. It happens. Sometimes there's wars, people live, people die. So David is now trying to desensitize your um, Joab. This is not a big deal. Let's just regroup, build our men up, and do otherwise. So as you can see, what David did displeased God because David's heart is so far from God now, it's not even funny. Verse 26, 
And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and he became, and she became his wife, and bare him a son. But the thing that David hath done displeased the Lord. So you see, even in all his treachery, even in his well planning, even in his time to, to delay from the battle. Now I don't kill Uriah, okay? No, I've got his wife, she's pregnant. I've cooked up a perfect scheme with my men who are loyal to me, and I've got Uriah killed. Now that we've regrouped and now that we're winning, man, it seems like I'm going to get out of this mess. But he didn't realize that God was watching. And you see, when your heart is not a part of what God wants, hey, you still got God to deal with. This is important for us to recognize because when our love is not towards him, we'll find ourselves speaking against the word of God, trying to get other people away from it fighting against the truth, having sin in our lives that shouldn't be. All these things can, can delay us if we don't realize where we are concerning the Lord. So if anyone has anything to add, they can. If not, we're going to go right into uh, chapter 12. I do real quick, y'all. Yeah. It's interesting. We're talking about this tonight because it's like, I mean, it's so, it's like, it's easier to happen than we think to get off course and we don't even realize a lot of times how off course we can get until it's like the Lord just like shines light on it and he's like you haven't been praying with me enough you've been watching too many TV or even Christian films it's like I got rid of Pure Flix Sunday night because I actually felt like the Lord had been telling me that it's been a distraction mm -hmm. in my, it, it's been a distraction for a while and even though most of it's Christian films it's like you know, I didn't feel right afterwards, you know, and it's just like, you know, he'd tell me, he's like, that's still a distraction, whether they're Christian films or not Christian films, whatever, mm -hmm. what about getting into my word or listening to a Bible study or something like that, and it's like, after I got rid of it, I actually felt like a lot better, I feel like, you know, I had actually been in obedience to him. No, very true. These things also happen to us, too, because I've recognized that there are things that I don't want to part with. And, you know, there's like a tug, a tug of war between you and the Lord when he wants you to part with things and you won't. But once you throw it in the trash, you don't even think about it half a second afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a tie gets severed. And then it's like the devil can't pull you back anymore. And it's just like, what? You know how you feel when you run into someone homeless and... They haven't eaten, and you could be halfway broke, you know, but you, you're carrying your food home, and then you see them, and you just, hey, man, you know, whatever. But see, before you give it, there's something telling you, you know, you're good with God. Don't give it. Holding your hand, holding your mind. But once you give it up to the person, and they, you know, thank you, and you, hey, don't thank me. Praise the Lord. You walk away, and you feel... Do, do, do. Exactly. You just feel so good that someone else ate, you know, so it's all about that love, you know, but we got to separate from that, which is unrighteous. All right. So this is chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David and he came unto him and said unto him, there were two men in one city and one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, uh, which he had brought and nourished up. 
and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat uh, and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto a rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wafering man that was uh, come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. So, you know, here's another thing about not having a heart after the Lord. It can make you self-righteous. And that's what David is right now. David is self-righteous. He's hearing something negative and he's acting angry. He just killed a man for his wife. But that's not even on his mind right now. He's hearing something and now he's got to appear to be that king all over again. Oh, well, what? If I heard that, you best believe the person that did this, he's going to die. You know, so now he's he's acting like a king again. And, you know, um, this is how the Lord will set you up. Look at verse 6. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said unto David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. So David became king because the Lord saw that David had a heart after him. And Saul was the enemy that hated David and was jealous of him and wanted to destroy him. David had to live in caves. David had to run for his life. He stayed outside of Israel, wrote some beautiful psalms, fearing for himself. But you see, David forgot this. You see how you can forget your first love? You forget, Lord, you made me king. You took me away from all my sin and made me right. And you cleared me from all my enemies when things were going on in my life. This is what I love about God, because he'll always remind us of where we are. Okay, so he says, and look at verse 8. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such as such things, such and such things. So God is even saying, David, with all that I gave you, because you are, the, the name David means beloved. If you have been accepted in the beloved and you know that you're of God, there is nothing that God wouldn't give to his people. You did not have to kill this man and do all the things that you did. If you would have asked me for 10 more wives, David, because you were the beloved, I would have given you just that. If you would have just given yourself to me or asked me, I would have provided for you. But when your heart's not after God, you start solving your own problems instead of coming to the Lord in prayer. All right. So he says, look at verse nine. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. And therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. 
Now, the sword never did depart from David's house. You know, Amnon was killed by, uh, what's the other son? Absalom, because he raped David's daughter, Tamar. Okay, they were half-brothers. But um, yeah, Absalom killed Amnon. Tamar was raped by Amnon. Then you had Absalom trying to come and kill David. Okay, David had to run out of the place where he lived to stay alive. And then Absalom had to be killed. All of David's enemies came after David and started saying, you're no good, you're this and that. You know, revenge has gotten back for Saul. So David had to bear this burden. But all of this came because David had forgotten the Lord. Mm -hmm. And you see, God will return you to your roots if you don't, you don't trust in him. So he says in verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. That's like a great insult to a king. Verse 12. For thou did it for what? For thou did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also have put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. So, you know, there's the other thing that David didn't do, even in his filth. He didn't repent. He never repented. He tried to cover this thing up. Now, Nathan is coming to tell him, this is going to happen to you, David. And now David is saying, I have sinned. And then Nathan just shook it off like, yeah, the Lord's going to forgive your sin. But you're not going to die. You're going to live to see everything play out in your life. You may wish you were dead, but one thing you're going to do is live this thing out. So he says, hey, you're not going to die. How be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house. And the Lord struck the other child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. So we got to understand, too, that the Lord says, because of what David did being king, he gave the enemy a chance to say, your God ain't that good. Look at the king of Israel. Look at how he's living. Look at what he's doing. And see, if we Christians only love the Lord enough to this degree that we bear the namesake of Jesus Christ and our Father God, then we wouldn't hesitate to tell people about this Jesus. We wouldn't be selling out Jesus for one morsel of meat or for the world because that gives God a bad name. That lets the enemy see. And what do we hear all the time when we go out and minister? That's why I don't like Christians. Because they ain't nothing but hypocrites. That's why I don't go to the church. But you see what we give? The enemy a chance to blaspheme God. When if we were living examples of what this was, these things would never happen to God. So long story short, David fasted. The baby died anyways. Okay. And, you know, um, Solomon was going to come. And Nathan even came. You're going to name this child Solomon. And and everything became right with the Lord, but David did still have to bear this burden. But the point of this is not to talk about how far we can fall, but if we keep our lives and our hearts in the right place, these things won't happen. Because when we compromise with God, 
you know, and we, we don't accept him as our first love, this is what can happen to you. Pastor David Lankford said, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. It will cost you more than you're ever willing to pay. So it's best to play this straight with a heart after God. Yeah, bro. So do you think what happened to David's son, I mean, it's kind of like a generational curse. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that what it is? Oh, yeah. I mean, so obviously that still happens even today, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, in all fairness to Solomon, the Lord loves Solomon. But Solomon had a rocky start considering where he came from. Mm -hmm. But God gave Solomon a fair chance. Solomon didn't obey, but... Yeah, I would say there is a there was a curse because the the Bible says here that the Lord would never depart from his house. And you know what? That's another thing that I'm glad Martin brought that up that we've got to pay attention to. The sins that we commit even before we have children, we better beware because it may affect the next generation. Even in false religion, you see things play out like this. Alcoholism, barrenness, father in jail, a teenage pregnancy, you know, all these things playing out. There's even curses where you find there's a bunch of women in the family that none of them get married and have a husband. These things can happen from one person's sin because they weren't worried about someone else. They took someone else's wife, and in turn, your kids won't have this. So you see, we can't be selfish. If we've got a heart towards the Lord, if we've done things like this in our lives, repent. So that you may have it well with God and that your family might be blessed. Because what we do doesn't just occur with us. It can affect the next generation. As, as a matter of fact, God promises that in two places. One is idolatry. You know, he talks about them that hate him, that it will go into the third and fourth generation. You know, and the other thing is, you know, sexual sin where you see a lot of these things play out. So yeah. it's important that we learn to walk with God and keep our hearts on him. And that's why I love the thing, what would Jesus do when people make those little bracelets? But I think a better one would be, do you really love the Lord as you're beginning to do what you're doing? You know, do you love God? That's what it should really be. As you go throughout the course of the day and every decision you make, do you love Jesus? Because that's what it should be. Because if you love him, we'll turn away from that thing and start doing what's right. You know, and I'm not down on anybody. I've had my play in the world. I've done things that I'm not proud of, that I've repented of. But this is all about getting it right that we can walk with Christ. So how do you repent for, like, your family? It sounds like your you grand grandparents. And great, great oh, question. Yeah. Great question. Because the Lord will make it known to you. These are things I've even had to do for my family. And you ask for the curse to be broken in the name of Jesus. You ask God to even forgive your ancestors or whatever. But you ask in the blood of Jesus that this can be broken off of you. Because it will come to us. Things like this can happen. You know, so yeah, that's what you do. Lord, thank you for making it aware to me of what my family was in and what they were involved in. I break this curse in the name of Jesus and his shed blood that this may not go beyond myself or the next generation. we got to, you know, and God, you'll have it well with God. But God always tells us, but, you know, it's just like one of my friends, I won't say their name, but, you know, her family was Muslim. And I remember telling her, you know, 
just pray that the curse would be broken. But you see, she leaned more towards the lines of, then pretty much what you're saying is, some of my family members are in hell. And if that is the case, I will not serve this God that you're talking about serving. And I said, you just need to focus on you repenting, making it right with him and moving forward. But you see, if you don't have a heart after Christ, her heart was more towards her family. And in doing so, I pray that she won't bear the same fate. But what good is it to me if my family members go to hell and I join them there? Right. You're not going to be paying attention to them anyways. You're going to be burning in your own torment. So what good is that? You know, you ask God for understanding. And you know, God is so good that he could actually remove that from your heart. You know, if you decide to follow him, whatever happened to your family, that's between them and the Lord. But God can remove those things from your mind and your heart and you heal and you live every day for him. But it's got to be, he's got to be your first love. You've got to give it to him. It's sad, but I told my family and they already know, hey, I preach the gospel and I tell the truth. But don't y'all think that I love any of you that much that I'm going to go to hell for one of you because I won't. And they won't go to hell for me, so it's perfect. Okay, you ought to love the Lord like he said to love him. But you got to be crazy to go to hell for anybody. You know, they all have their choice in what they do. Okay, so let's go to, uh, let's go to second, uh, let's see. Now, in your spare time, read First Samuel 4. Okay, because that was the story of Hannah giving birth to Samuel. And at this time, there was a priest, Eli, who was in Israel that had two sons that were running around like crazy, committing all sorts of sins, taking bribes, doing all sorts of stuff. And Eli was a righteous man, but Eli began to ignore what his sons were doing for their sake and not judging them according to what a high priest would do. So Eli's heart began to turn away from God Okay, and, and to favor his sons. And one night, Eli was sitting in a chair. His chair fell back. He broke his neck because he was a heavy set man. And he died. And I believe um, two of the sons were murdered too. I think out to battle or something happened. And the daughter of the family named um, her son Ichabod because she knew this sin came because of what Eli allowed to happen. And the word Ichabod means the glory of the Lord has departed. So you see, you always want to keep a heart after God. Because if God, you don't keep your heart after him, don't think that God's not going to judge a matter simply because you ignore it. And that's why we try and touch on every sin in this ministry. Because it's important that we know these things that we can be made right for the Lord. Don't start putting stuff under and ignoring it. Because if God's got to come and yank those sheets off... There's going to be, I mean, you know, God is going to judge you fierce and everybody's going to know it. So if we know that there are things that we've done wrong, let's repent and make it right with him. And it's always about having a heart after Christ. So where I want to go next is, um, let's go to uh, Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. Actually doing really well. We've only been like an hour and fifteen minutes into it. That's good. <laughs> Hosea chapter two. 
Now, this verse, this chapter strikes me in the heart because these are one of the few times where we find out that God is very much like us or we're very much like him. I want to say God has a heart just like everybody else. And I think that if we overlook that as believers, what we tend to do is push God aside. You know, we don't think about God. We think, well, he's all powerful. He's all knowing and he's everywhere. So he won't care if I go and do this and that. But you got to understand, if God's power is magnified well above ours, then guess what? God's, God's heart is magnified well above ours. That means that you think you feel pain. You have no idea what he feels. Okay, we've got to recognize that. If he's got a heart greater than you and I, then God aches when we don't do right. Okay, it doesn't deter his thinking, but I'm just saying that God aches for you. All right, because can we think of anybody that we love as much as the sands of the sea? Do we have thoughts towards anybody? And let's be real about this. Who do we love? Are our thoughts towards them or as the sands of the sea? Is it your pet dog, Rover? Is it your wife? Is it your grandfather or whomever? Now, can we think of anyone, even your children, or your thoughts towards them as of the sands of the sea? Think about it. I mean, we can love someone dearly and truly and long for them, but that's not as towards the sands of the sea because you can think about one thing they did and for that moment, you're kind of upset with them. Like, you know what? I don't want to get upset. You know, I'm feeling like whatever. But then, you know, when you make it right with them, everything is fine. But God's heart is well above ours. Mm -hmm. So this is Hosea chapter 2. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ramaha, or Rahama, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. So what God is talking about here is he had Hosea, he told them to marry a whore, you know, but really this was symbolic for Israel. Israel is known as a whore because they never stayed in line with what God said. So God is saying here, with all this being done, my wife is not my wife any longer because of what she's doing, and I am not her husband. This is God speaking that, you know, I don't want anything to do with her right now because of how she's living. So look at verse 4. And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredom. So this answers the question. When you have a whore-like mentality, you know, God is not going to have mercy on your children because your children are the children of whores. You are to know God and get to... um you know, teach the children of God or the ways of God so that your children will be blessed. Verse 5, For their mother have played the harlot. She that uh, conceived them have done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water and wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. So you see how straying away from God 
can set you in a place where God will put thorns around you and you won't be able to find your way back. So it's dangerous to stay away from the truth. But this is in many ways how we treat the Lord. We have other lovers. Let's be real. God may be our main love, but there are other things in this world that we love probably as much as God or more than God, or they're just hanging around whenever God doesn't fulfill what we want God to. So in doing so, we'll run here, we'll run there, we'll be faithful to these things, and we don't realize in many ways how we can make the Lord ache. Verse 7, and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall be over but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. God has to do this to you. God has to get to the place sometimes that when we find ourselves with a no good boyfriend or girlfriend, or we put a job before the Lord, or we put other things in this life before the Lord, God will sit back and let you indulge in just what you want. When you realize these things don't fulfill that need for him, then there's a part of you that longs and calls out for him, and then he can work with you. But think about it. We've all had relationships that turned us away from God. We've all had, you know, jobs that have turned us away. We've all had hobbies and things that we enjoyed in this life, maybe even substance abuse and other types of things that have kept us from God. When God leaves you to it, and you realize that you're a hot mess, and you're more stressed out than you ever were before, then you're ready to call out to him, oh my God, my God, I just can't handle it. Where are you? I need you. So he's got to get you in that place to where you begin. Listen to what the woman said. She said, um, but, but shall not I find them then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, first love, for then was it better for me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. So remember, we did the teaching on the house of Baal two weeks ago. But you see, this is what we're talking about now. Whatever you're not giving to God, you are no doubt giving for Baal. I'm telling you, if you do a full study on how Baal works in this life, Baal consumes everything in us except the spirit, okay? But he's making it clear here that she, God gave you your corn. He gave you your wine. This is why, you know, you can be sick and have a cold and be laid out on your bed. It's God that's keeping it from getting worse. It's God that gives you the strength to go out and do what you do every day. It's God that fills you with joy, peace, long-suffering, love, that we may distribute it to others. But you see what happens with us? Our well begins to run dry because we're not giving it back to the one who gave it to us. We, we, take, the, um, we take God's love and his, and his energy and we go out and we spend it on the world. Then when we run dry, then we're ready to run back to him. But Jesus says that if anyone be of Christ, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. But you've got to love God and be a part of God. He says, aside from the true vine, you can do nothing. If he is the vine and we are the branches, we've got to stay connected to the vine. 
why we get stressed, why marriages fail, why children go into chaos, why all sorts of crazy things happen in our lives is because we don't stay connected to our husband. And in doing so, we connect to Baal. And Baal has got no good for you. Baal will spend you, use you up like a battery, and throw you away. Look at every celebrity that trusted in Baal. When we decide to just bask in our work and don't leave time for God, we find ourselves stressed beyond stress. When we give that relationship more time than we give God, we'll find out that person didn't love you like you thought they did because they were an agent of Baal just to pull you away from the spirit and then you see their fangs. Then you see their horns. Now, you know what? It was so much better when I go to the Lord. So what happens? You go back to church and you hear people talking about Jesus and automatically you start crying because you know that you were cheating on your husband. That happens to every backsliding sinner. When you get back into the church, now all of a sudden you're in tears because you know that you've been away. But God doesn't want us to go through this. He wants us to stay connected to him because he truly is our husband. He makes it known to us, I gave you these things. You, you only got that job because I gave it to you. You know, but see, you didn't put it before me. Sometimes God can give you the person that you desire in your life. He can give you this person he gave to you. But you know why it's going to go wrong? Because now, this, let's just say this is God. Okay, we're all connected to him. All right, but now that God gives you something because God means for you to stay with him and this person to be brought in so that way the whole will be complete. But what we tend to do is, wow. You know, and now you're hugging this person, but God is over here. Okay, so now you've disconnected from him. You're with this and you go skipping away with them, but you just connected, disconnected from the tree of life. So now that relationship is going to fall until you begin to give it back to Christ. This is why he's got to be our first love, because he is the source of all that is. All right. I don't mean to be animated tonight, but we just need to get some understanding. Verse 9. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof, and I will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of my hand. I will also cause all, all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, and her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall eat them. So this is where the demons actually come in and take over. But we got to understand that, you see, when you've got prized possessions outside of God and you're not thankful to him, then what does the Bible say? The Lord giveth, and he the Lord taketh away. So this is how you can have it one minute, but you didn't stay connected, and I'm going to snatch you back. All right, so we must remain faithful. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness, 
You see how the Lord has to lure you and bring you? You got to come to yourself and speak comfortably with her. This is the Holy Ghost. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, meaning man or husband, and uh, and shall call me no more Bailey. So sometimes we could be telling the Lord, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me, but God didn't give it to you. It was Baal. So you see what I'm saying? God will give you things according to his knowledge, but God wants to remarry us, but we've got to stop cheating on him. Verse 17, for I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beast of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break of the bow of the sword and the battle of the, out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. And I will betroth, like in other words, you know, engage or be married thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. So what we got to understand is we shouldn't take offense at times when people might be further along in their walk. And they may speak from faith. They may speak about the love that they have towards the Lord. They may speak about how the Lord is sanctifying them and taking them out. We should never look at this in a way of, oh man, so, you know, what are you saying? I'm not good enough. It's not about that. This person is experiencing a love relationship with God. And when you're in that place with the Lord, God will begin to show you as an individual, this bothers me, that bothers me, this bothers me. So you draw closer to him so you can only speak about the love relationship that he's given you and what, what he's showing you. You can't speak for anyone else. This is my confession. This is what he's doing for me. This is what he's showing me that is wrong so that I may walk in righteousness. So you see, when we depart from our first love, we end up in some rough places with God. But what we've got to do is learn to cling to him because aside from God, we can have nothing. Many cases we call God Baal, and we don't even realize it. We can say, God, there was a, a video of some strippers that they were, um, before they go up to strip, they were actually praying, God, bless us with all this money. Bless us, Lord, let it rain down tonight so that we can have some wealth. They're not thanking God for that. They're thanking Baal, okay, because God has nothing to do with stripping. Okay, for one, God wouldn't even tell you to be in there. But you see, this is how some people can actually thank God for things that have nothing to do with God. Nothing whatsoever. So we got to make sure that we're in the right place with God. I would thank God for all things. But when God makes known to you some things are not of his spirit, then, you know, remove them from you so you can stay in good standing with him. But the only way to do it is he's got to be your first love. He's got to be your first love. 1 Corinthians 9, and let's look at verse 11. I mean, the Lord is showing me all the time how I cheat on him. 
you know, all the time. And that's why some days the Lord may say, I don't want you to see anybody today. I want you to be with me. Now, you know, people that you may talk to may not like it, but there's something where you got to let them know, hey, man, the Lord is telling me to do this. This is what I've got to do. But this is about God being your first love. If we forsake that time with the Lord, what can happen is, in some ways, you're disobeying the Lord. So we've got to keep in mind that God is first and foremost. All right, so this is uh, 1 Corinthians 9. Let's look at verse 11. And he says, If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing if ye shall reap your carnal things. If we shall reap car uh, your carnal things. Uh, if others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. So Paul is here saying we could have had it a lot easier. You people could have probably have liked us a lot more if we have held back some of the gospel or not gone through what we went through just so that you can know the truth. But he's saying we don't do these things because we don't want to hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live in the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So what we can't we can't be hypocrites. We've got to practice what we preach. That's where the power is. Verse 15. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better to, uh, for me to die than that any man should make my glory void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So Paul is saying, don't glory me for preaching the gospel. You know, I have a necessity to do this no matter what because of his feelings towards Christ. So he's saying, don't pay me, don't glorify me, don't uphold me any more than I am because if I don't preach the gospel, woe be unto me. Okay, so I'm doing it not just for your sake, I'm doing it for the Lord because I know that if I don't, it will be a detriment to me. This is fear of the Lord. Verse 17, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So if God's got to whip you to do his will, then that's bad for you. That's not a good thing. But if I do it willfully as a free will offering because God is my first love and I love him, then there is the reward. A lot of people are feeling like they're beat down, trodden down. People are making them do things for the gospel's sake. There's no reward in that. If you're feeling that way, then stop what you're doing. Why? Because you have to come before God as a free will offering that he may work with you. Okay, so saying that you're not ready and not going forward, in some ways you'll be better off than telling somebody okay, knowing deep down that you don't want to serve Christ right now. I'm not saying there won't be any negative effect to not serving Christ, but you've got to come willfully with a full heart to him. All right, verse 18. 
Uh, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. So he's not looking to be paid. Verse 19, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, <laughs> of being not without law to God, uh, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. Um, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might be all means, I mean, that I might by all means save some. So you see, in some ways you do have to be, I wouldn't say crafty, but you got to keep in mind that Christ is everything, okay? Because sometimes what we can do is find out somebody keeps the Sabbath and we don't. So right away, we don't want to be in their company. Hey, if we keep it about Christ, we become all things to all men. All right, so what day do you guys meet Saturday? I'll meet you guys Saturday. And I'll sit there and I'll, I'll talk to you and be into this and that. But my whole goal is that you may win Christ. Now, you see, we did the Sabbath teaching on the radio show this past Thursday. Paul is explaining why he was in the synagogues, why he went here, why he went there. It was that he became all things to all men that he may win them to Christ. Okay, so it's not a personal thing between Paul and the people. All right. So he says, um, verse 23, And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So therefore I run, not as uncertainly, uh, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. So Paul's making clear here that what I'm doing, I'm doing for Christ. I'm not doing this of uncertainty, not knowing where my soul will be. I'm not fighting against the air like I have, I don't know who my opponent is, I'm just swinging wild. He's making clear that he's doing all things for Christ, that they run this race with patience. But look at what he says. Verse 27 is the key. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached unto others or preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So Paul is making clear. If I don't subdue this flesh, if I don't keep up under the will of God, he makes clear that he can even preach the gospel and be a castaway. That's how important it is that we keep our first love. Our first love is to serve the Lord. And if we do so, we've got to present our bodies holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. This is so important that we begin to do these things. Because you see, David could have been a castaway. But God had bigger plans for David. But first it went to 
not having a heart after God, not doing what God says, going off into the world. And before you know it, he became an enemy of God. He began to fight the very people in the army of God because his will was separate from God's. Okay, so we're going to go right into chapter 10. If anyone has anything to add, they can. If not, let's just continue. We're almost done. So he says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So they're all on one accord. And did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink, sorry, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. Why, Paul? For they were overthrown in the wilderness. They were overthrown where? In the soul, in their mind, their will, and their emotions. Verse 6, now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What did David do? He sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And what happened to David? What happened to Hosea or whomever else? This is what he's trying to warn us that even though we go back to Israel and we talk about them leaving Egypt and wallowing in the wilderness and dealing with idolatry, the whole goal was to make it unto the promised land. Okay? Verse 9, or verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. So he's talking about spiritual fornication. You can cheat on the Lord spiritually. You can be intimate with idolatrous things that are not of God. We can give um, uh, things to think. We can give time to things that we should be given to God. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples. Uh, and they are written for our admonition, our warning, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. So this is another warning, how, how we were warned to examine ourselves to see if we be in the faith, how God warned the church of Ephesus, yeah, you might be working for me, but you left your first love. Repent, or I'm going to remove that candlestick He's saying here, don't think in any case that we've got this thing all figured out. Don't look at someone's salvation and look at yours and say, I'm above him. Because David didn't fall until he became king. When David was in the wilderness struggling for his life, David was a faithful servant towards God. But when David hit that plateau of king, that's when the devil came after him for real. The further we go up the mountain, we've got to be careful with our steps. Because each step we take can lead us into a greater fall. We've got to secure our steps, walk with Christ, and when we find ourselves reaching the top, that's when you really got to be weary. Because the higher up you go, you can fall because it becomes steep. You know, the, the air gets thinner. You know, there's no room for anybody else. 
to walk this walk with you, but you in Christ. So these are things that we've got to be careful with because unless we do these things, we can fall. David took his eyes off the battle for one minute. And when his eyes were off the battle, his eyes were focused on someone else's prize, someone else's wife. And in doing so, he committed fornication. Yeah, I mean, that's just it's really something for us to think about that, you know, all this. I mean, it, it can happen. It's like if we do take our eyes off the battle and uh, we're not spending, like we talked about tonight, not spending time with the Lord, not hearing his voice and being, you know, obedient under his commandments is just, you know, we can we can get off track with, with all of that. And... Um, I know that's something he's really been talking to me about, especially where I work, because, you know, there's a lot of people that just, they, it's like curse words every other moment, and I actually got onto a guy Monday, because he hit his hand, and he said, you know, one of the more derogatory curse words out loud, and I told him, I said, you know, you gotta, you need to respect the fact that other people are around you, it's like, I know you hurt your hand, but have some respect that other people around you don't want to hear that. So that's the kind of that's the generation of people that we live in now. It's like they don't care. There's no respect because there's no God in their life. There's no Jesus in their life. So all they're thinking about is themselves. You yeah, know? They're very bold the other way around. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Wrong thing. Absolutely. And you know, um, in your spare time, uh, read Matthew six. You know, that's when Jesus says, "You can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other." And David, not even realizing it, hated God for that moment because he thought to even kill a brother. He thought to even do evil in God's eyes for what he wanted. So you see, when we start feeding on one thing, those things can be taken from us, you know. And um, also in your spare time, read 1 Timothy chapter 2, where it tells us to endure hardness as good soldiers of Christ. There's no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please God who has chosen us to be soldiers. Okay, so, you know, the Bible talks about that. And then I want to look at, um, um, we're going to stay in First First Timothy chapter, um, I mean, First Corinthians chapter 10. But in your spare time too, because we don't have time to go there, look at Luke 15 and 11. That's the story of the prodigal son. Now, remember, this guy had a good um, the, um, his dad gave him money. He took that money and spent it on the world, ran wild with the world. Before you knew it, his funds ran out, the world had forsaken him, and he went from royalty to actually eating out of a pigsty. And then he came to himself. You see how um, he said in Hosea, he would bring his bride unto the wilderness where he can speak with her softly. How he warned um, David, you know, he had to send Nathan to David. Sometimes we've got to hit rock bottom before God says, you know what, I'm going to come to myself and I've got to seek God. How did I end up in a pigsty when I had it so good in my life? So you see, we've got to learn to stay connected to God, okay, and love him. But just read those in your spare time. Uh, I'm just going to finish up this right here. So it says, there have no temptation taken you. But such is as common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. 
Now, this is where we can tend to overlook God. This is how people backslide and do the things they do. God always makes a way for escape. But what we tend to do is if your heart is for God, you'll take that option. Nobody ever pins somebody down and makes them fornicate or do whatever. You do what you want to do. But when God makes that way for escape, he opens that door. Okay, no gambling, no doing this, no doing that. You know, you can be with the spirit. And you see that door open, your heart, your very heart will tell on you. Because if you want Christ, you're going to make a way to leave it. If not, you're going to stay and indulge. And that's where we've got to be careful. I remember when the Bible studies, because I like walking in the spirit, when they first started at Martin and Laura's place, when they were having them, I remember, man, they used to have it like every two weeks. I couldn't wait for those two weeks so I could just run there and get into the word and, you know, be with you guys and do whatever. That was just so important to me in my life. You know, I remember that day I had to preach. Um, Cammie and Chris got married, you know, and we had to be there. It was over at Bridal Vales in the, um, in the uh, what was it? It was in the gorge, you know, the Bridal Vale uh, wedding, whatever. So all that was going on, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm like paying attention to what's going on, but I'm looking at the time, and I remember it was getting late because, you know, weddings always start late. So I was like, man, you know what? I told Sarah, if they don't get it together soon, I'm not missing Bible study. Like, I don't care, like, what goes on. So I waited. I remember hanging around, and um, they finally did the wedding, and we're looking at the time, and I knew you guys were going to start right at 7 or 7.30, Man, Sarah was burning up the road so we can get there. But I just, I love to be in fellowship with my brothers and sisters. I love to be in the spirit. This is more important to me than anything is getting into God, getting into his word, you know, checking on family and everything. But, you know, this is something that we have to want for ourselves. But it was just, it's just interesting. So anyway, verse 14, wherefore, my dearly beloved, uh, flee from idolatry. I speak to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessings which uh, we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. Uh, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So this is where we have to begin to see things God's way. Because if we take Lord's Supper then we're just like the disciples that were at that last supper with Christ. It's that important, you know, that don't see yourselves as less, man. This is where we've got to grow in Christ to where we recognize you're either a disciple or you're not. Verse 18, behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar. What say I then that the idol is anything? or that which is offered and sacrificed to idols is anything. But I say um, that the things which are which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. I would that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink from the, from the cup of the Lord and of the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Or are we stronger than he? So that's something that the Lord is, you know, making it known to me that I know that in many cases we got to work for a living and do what we do. But I'm asking the Lord when the time comes, because I want his plan in play, separate me from the world. 
Let me go into ministry full time and serve you and let you provide everything you need for me. Because one scripture has been coming up where Jesus said, when Satan offered him all the kingdoms, Jesus said, I worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. So if I'm taking a part in this world to do things of my own, I can't speak for anyone else but for me, then who am I serving most of the day? Is it Christ or is it Antichrist? So what he's giving me now in this time is, you know, I minister at work. I talk to people about the Lord. Hopefully a few brothers will end up coming, you know, for study and things like that. But I'm going to make it about him because it needs to be about him because he's my first love. I've got to dedicate more time to him than I give to anything else if he is my first love. It's that important. You know, let's go to uh, Philippians chapter 3 and I'm done. Philippians chapter 3. In your spare time, too, look at Luke um, 21, uh, 25 through 38, where the Lord um, tells people what will befall them in the last days. And he says what holds them back are the cares of this life. He says that people will be overcome by surfeiting, which is overindulgence, overeating, you know, wanting more than they should and not denying self. You know, every time we've read tonight that those who have not denied self you see what happens to them. Your flesh gets strong. You desire the, the, the things of the flesh. And before you know it, you're off in sin. All right. Uh, Philippians 3. This is the last chapter of the night. And let's begin at verse 1. Philippians 3 and 1. And he says, Finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. Uh, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. You know, those are those who are supposed to be in the midst. You know, they call themselves believers, those who are vicious, you know, who are out to hurt people. Look at verse uh, 3. For we are the circumcision which um, worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So let's look at that again. Do we find ourselves being those who are of the circumcision, which are those who are circumcised in the heart, who have a heart single towards Christ? And it says, do we worship God in spirit? Do we rejoice in Christ Jesus? Do we place any confidence in the flesh? We put a lot of confidence in the flesh, but I'm learning every day to pray, Lord, I don't want it to be my will. Let your will be done. This all comes with the change in the heart. Verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul says, I was circumcised the eighth day. That's like the perfect day to be sacrificed of the Old Testament commandment, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. In Hebrew of Hebrews and touching the law of Pharisee, um, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So Paul knew the law inside out. Paul saying, if you want to brag about religious works or seeing yourself as a believer in the flesh from the outside, I can brag even more than you. 
I'm of the stock of Israel, circumcised the eighth day. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, where Saul, the first king, was actually given to Israel. You know, he could have bragged and went on and on. But what Paul is going to explain that even with all that means absolutely nothing when it comes to having a heart after God. We've got to come to that conclusion. So it says in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. What I'm explaining right now in verse 8, this has got to be a heart-to-heart -heart affair. You've got to get to the place in Christ that he circumcises around the heart enough that we find ourselves looking at all things as a loss that we might gain him. That's That's got to come in the heart because if someone were to tell you today, you know what, if you're really for Christ, I know where you work and I know what you do. You need to forsake that to be with Christ. The person may do it, but they may suffer because of the fact that their heart's not towards Christ. So what you find yourself doing, it will be murmuring and complaining, you know, and hating life because you never gave it over to him. This has got to come in terms of a free will offering. So Paul is recognizing, man, I could have been a Pharisee. I was already doing that. I could have had all these things of the world. But you know what? I look back on it, even with my great education, even with all that I had, these things are dumb. They are doo-doo, okay? They are poop for the loss of Christ. Not that they're just things that I leave in the closet, not just old hand-me-downs. He's calling them dumb. Now, you know, dumb serves no purpose other than to let feet, you know, other than to let, to be fertilizer to allow plants to grow. He's calling them dumb. They've got no value to me. But the only way we're going to see this is where we are in our heart with Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So Paul's making clear, I'm not righteous. I'm no more than any filthy person out there. It is Christ in me that brings forth righteousness. Um, pray for Sarah right now because she's in pain and I know she's suffering because of something that um, she's going through so Lord in Jesus name I proclaim this very moment whatever pain she's experiencing and what she's feeling I pray Lord that you lose her from it that you set her free Lord I pray that that pain go from her this very moment for that which she is experiencing Lord that you can lift so I pray and I ask in Jesus' name that all these things be done for her, that she be delivered, for you have borne our stripes, and by them, Lord, we are healed. Be it done unto her now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so he says that, um, that he count these things as done. He's not righteous, it's the righteousness of Christ that is within him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, 
but I follow after it that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself uh, to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. So we've got to learn to forsake those things that are behind us and reach forward unto the greatness which is of Christ, all these things that are set before us. As I demonstrated earlier, when God gives us something, we've got to learn to keep our eyes stayed on God because if we find ourselves going back to the world or looking behind, we can never see what God has in front of us. Okay? So he says in verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded and if and if in anything yet be otherwise minded God shall reveal even this unto you. So as you press towards following God having a heart after the Lord he's saying that if there be any other thing that you're doing that is contrary to God then God will make these things known unto you so that you won't continue in sin. These things will, will um, you know, be known that we can move away. Verse, six, verse 16, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So see, we are to walk as Jesus walked. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So when it comes to judging the heart, judging matters of the heart, we've got to know is what's being said to us leading us toward the cross, leading us closer to Christ, or is it taking us away from Christ? At one minute, in, in uh, um, Matthew 16, Peter said that he was, you know, Lord, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. So he made that remark, and Jesus says, Simon, you know, flesh and blood couldn't have revealed this to you, only my father. And then a couple of verses later, the Lord is telling Peter, you know, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, because thou savorest the things that be of men and not of God. Why Jesus called him Satan is because the, the advice that Peter was given was going against the will of God. So as you can tell, although Peter loved the Lord, Peter was trying to persuade Jesus not to go to the cross. And thank God that Jesus didn't look at himself and looked unto the, uh, unto the Lord because he went to be sacrificed. So you see, anything that's pulling you away from the cross Anything that's making your relationship not as strong with the Lord. This could be your church. This could be your wife. This could be your children. This can be your job. Anything that keeps you from serving the Lord and does not go in accordance with what God tells you to do. That is the enemy of the cross of Christ. It's important that we understand this. They may not even be aware of what they're doing. I'm not calling them evil. I'm just saying they're being used because of the fact even through their ignorance, they want things that are not of the will of God. That's important for us to know. 
verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. So, all right, he's defining what the enemies of the cross are. Their end will be destruction because they're not after God. Their God is their belly. That means they indulge. They won't deny themselves. And whose glory is in their shame. They don't mind sin who mind earthly things. So their minds are focused towards the natural, the here and now. All that they can indulge in here, but not after God. But look at verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is, what is Paul and they speak about? Heavenly things, you know, the spiritual things, things that be of God, things pertaining to spiritual growth. That's what he's into. Verse 21, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So what we've got to learn to do is there's nothing more important than loving the Lord first, loving him with everything in us that we may distribute that love to others righteously. If we love anything more than God, that is the surest path to being led astray because that which is tugging on your heart that is not after him will take you away from him. And, you know, like I, I mentioned so many times before in the past, that we've got to recognize that if we were in the day of judgment, if the Lord shot us all up right now in the kingdom and we're standing before his throne, could we think of anything that was more important than him? Would there be anything in this world that we would be thinking about more than him except the very thing of, are we getting in? Now, I'm not trying to bring this down on a low note. I'm trying to keep it on a high note. We've got to love the Lord first and everything else second. And if things happen to fall by the wayside in our lives, because for whatever reason, people don't understand this relationship, then you know what? Then let it be. But one thing we can't afford to do is forsake him. Because aside from him, when all is said and done, when the world is destroyed, when we're all laying in our graves called up to Christ, all that's going to matter is, do we know Jesus? So we've got to learn to cling to him, to be strong in him, that we may love him the way that he calls us to, and that we may complete his work in loving our neighbor. Aside from that, we can't do enough religious works. We can't do enough things, all right? We can't have enough prayer towards all this other stuff. Okay, none of those things will matter. Are we obedient to the Lord? Do we give him time? Does he know you and you know him? Because in the end, we will make sure, we better make sure that we have not left our first love. That's the most important thing is Jesus. So if anybody has anything to add, they can. If not, I don't think Sarah's going to present tonight because of how she's feeling. So we can actually uh, go out in prayer if no one has anything else. All right, so let's pray out. Any volunteers for prayer tonight? Was that on me? I guess I'm praying out. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. 
And we pray, Lord, that your message, Lord, has reached others. We pray, Lord, that people understand that you are a good God and there's nothing that you will hold back from those who love you. Lord, I just pray that the message is made clear that unless we love you, Lord, we have nothing. Unless we seek a relationship with you, Lord, that there is nothing that we can do. So, Lord, let us cling unto our first love, which is you. Let us be partaker in the things that you want us to. I pray that this message, Lord, reaches the ears of those who might be too busy for the Lord, who may be doing other things in their lives. I pray that you make a way out of no way that they might be delivered. I pray, Lord, right now for my sister Sarah, Lord, and the pains that she's going through and what she's suffering with. I pray, Lord, that you deliver her, Lord, from this. If it be demonic, I command in Jesus' name that it go from her this very moment. And I pray, Lord, that she be healed. I pray, Lord, for the brethren and all those who couldn't make it today that you watch over them. I pray that this message rings loud, Lord, for these are the times that try men's souls. And I pray, Lord, that we just stay in line with what you call us to. For temptations and distractions are everywhere, Lord. But we know that you're going to do something new, that you're going to bring up a new breed. As you talked about the parable of the ten virgins, as you talked about, you know, those who have not built their houses upon you. We know, Lord, that you always say whether you know us or you don't. So let us draw closer to you. Let us draw nigh to you so you can draw nigh to us, that we may truly be what you have called us to. We ask and we pray with all these things, Lord, that they be done for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.